All right, are you all situated now? Are you guys ready? Are you attentive? You focused? Do you have your Bibles? I heard a lot of no's. Listen, listen. Hold your Bibles up. Good job. Um, you need to bring your Bibles, okay? This whole series, we are going through a book in the Bible, 1 John. You need to bring your Bibles. It's not going to help you if you don't have your Bible here, okay? We will have it up on the screen, but, but listen, if you like to take notes, or even if you don't like to take notes, um, it's, it's always good to have a paper Bible in front of you so that if something strikes you or, uh, or you have a question, you can underline something, circle it in your Bible, write a note down, okay? And, and then go back and revisit that later at home uh, with your folks or, or next week when, when we come back. If you have more questions, talk to one of the leaders and stuff. The goal is not to just to just have a Bible. The goal is to use your Bible. Amen? Okay. So let's jump right in. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 John. Okay? It is near the end of the Bible, the fifth to the last book in the New Testament, in the Bible. Okay? I don't hear very many pages turning. You guys already there? 1 John. Um, okay, uh, we're going to be looking at this chapter by chapter over the next five weeks. It's five chapters long, so tonight we're going to look at First John chapter 1, uh, and, and, and so on and so forth next week's chapter 2. And, uh, but I want to give you a little bit of background. Um, we kind of introduced the series last week. We're call, doing a series called Evidence. I want to give you a little bit of background into this book. Um, it was written by the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book in the New Testament, right? Okay? Not the first, fourth. Um, he also wrote 2 John, 3 John, and he wrote the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Um, and so he wrote uh, a few of these, of these books of, of the New Testament here. He was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and, and along with um, Peter and James, he had sort of uh, special privileges, I guess, or, or a special relationship with Jesus those three got to go to places and, and see things and spend time with Jesus that the other disciples did not get to do. And so they kind of had this, this sort of inner circle relationship with Jesus um, out of the 12. Uh, this, this letter, that, this first John, this, this is a letter that John wrote. Um, it was written probably around 85 to 95 AD. That's about 50 or 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Um, and so John is not the young, strapping disciple that he was back then. When he wrote this letter, he's an older man now, okay? And, and so um, he's got some age and, and some years behind him. There's, uh, Christianity had been around for at least a full generation by now, which means that there were people that did not uh, see Christ firsthand and, uh, and have trusted in the testimonies of the apostles and are now believers because of their testimony. Um, and the, and this, the church had faced persecution, uh, but was still growing in spite of that. And so, um, but alongside that, uh, around this time, there had been sort of an uprising of false teachers uh, that, were, that were also coming along, and they were kind of uh, coming into these, the, the churches and, and uh, making some of these believers waver in their faith. They were... Um, they were bringing false teaching in, and, um, and because of that, many of the younger believers started compromising their faith. They started adapting to the things of the world instead of 
uh, the things of God instead of staying firmly rooted in Christ. And so um, this letter from John then was a response to that false teaching in an effort to help get believers uh, grounded and rooted back in, uh, back on track, back, back into Christ. And so uh, this, this letter has two purposes. The first one is that it offers uh, a series of tests for anyone who claims to follow Christ so that they can see whether or not their faith is genuine. And, and the second purpose is to those whose faith is genuine, um, it serves as an encouragement and a reminder that they are in right standing with God, that their relationship with Him is a true one, uh, and that they can be encouraged by that uh, through this letter. So in essence, the goal of this letter then is to open up the eyes of those who, um, who, who assume that their faith is genuine when it's really not, and, uh, and then to erase any doubt in the minds of, of those whose faith really is genuine, um, but maybe have a, a few struggles that they're dealing with, okay? So, and that's also the goal of this series, that, that uh, as we go through the book of 1 John together, um, to help you find evidence, it's the name of our series, to help you find evidence in your life uh, of a faith that's either genuine or a faith that's not. Hopefully, that by the time the, this series is over, you'll come to that conclusion in your life that, that you're, you truly are walking with Christ and you can be encouraged by that and you can, you can continue to grow in that. Or um, you'll realize that, that you were, have been fooling yourself and, uh, and that your faith is not genuine. And, and, and to that, I would invite you then that hopefully by between now and the end of the series, that, that faith will turn into a genuine faith, okay? Um, and that you'll be encouraged in that and know that, that as long as you're sitting here, as long as you're breathing in and out, that you have a chance to make your faith genuine. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, and so with all that said, uh, let's dig into chapter 1, okay? I'm going to start with um, verses 1 through 4, and you guys can follow along in your Bibles or up on the screen with me as I read this, and then we'll talk about it. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with and sorry, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard excuse me, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So what does this mean? John begins this letter um, very similar to the way he begins his gospel. If you've ever read the gospel of John, he refers to Jesus in, in 1 John here in this letter, he refers to Jesus as the word of life. Uh, in his gospel, in the first chapter of his gospel, he refers to Jesus as the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay? Um, and, and in both the gospel and in this letter, John talks about the eternal state of Jesus, that he's, that he's not a, a mor- just a mortal man. He's, he's an eternal being who was there in the beginning of creation. In fact, Jesus is the creator. He's the one that spoke us into being. Okay? Um, and, in, and in verse 2, then, John draws attention to the fact that Jesus uh, was God who came to us in the flesh. He says that the life, referring to the word of life, a.k.a. Jesus, appeared. God came uh, and, and, uh, in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and, and came down to us, and he died a sacrificial death. 
uh, on the cross for our sins. Then he rose himself from the grave to prove that he was uh, God. He did that three days later. And, uh, and so that any who truly believe in him can have everlasting life, eternal life with him uh, when he returns or when we pass away. And so John was an eyewitness to the, to the physical and the historical uh, reality of Jesus. He was there firsthand. He, he, was, uh, he had seen Jesus with his own eyes. He uh, had heard Jesus with his own ears. He had touched Jesus with his own hands. He ate meals together with him. He stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Um, he, he was there at the, uh, at the tomb when the stone was uh, rolled away and the tomb was empty. He was standing there with Peter, and, and um, he, he witnessed uh, Jesus' ascension into heaven uh, along with the other apostles. John was a, was a highly credible witness to the life and ministry of Jesus, okay? And so um, he's writing this letter to people who weren't there, who, who uh, like you and me, who need an account, who, who, who don't, haven't been there and, and seen Jesus with their own eyes and, and touched Jesus with their own hands and heard Jesus with their own ears. We need a credible witness who can share that stuff with us. That's John. And he's writing, uh, he, he wrote that in his gospel, and he's writing that in his letter now so that uh, those who have not seen can believe, Okay. Uh, and, and then in verse 3, um, he says that he's, that, he, uh, that he's writing about what he's seen and heard so that other believers can be unified in that fellowship with Jesus and, and with one another. So that even though we haven't been there uh, 2,000 years ago with Jesus himself, because of John's testimony and the testimony of the other apostles, um, that we can believe that what they say is true because they were there. And in turn, our believing, uh, when, it's, when it's a genuine faith, uh, m- puts us into the family of God. And so we have fellowship with the other believers, like John, and, uh, and with Jesus himself. So here's the first test, then, of, of genuine faith. Okay? A true believer will have evidence of joyful fellowship or, or close friendship with God and with each other through repentance and faith in Christ. So here's some questions that you can ask yourself. Here's some things that you can kind of think about. Um, Is God your highest desire? Do you desire God over everything else? Do you find yourself eager to know and to love him? Do you believe that Jesus, uh, do you believe that John's testimony about Jesus is true? Do you trust his eyewitness account of who Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died uh, on the cross, not just for, for, uh, the sins in, in general, but for your sins personally? Do you really believe that Jesus is really the Son of God? And, and, and when you think about the fact that Jesus died for you personally, does that make, uh, does it make you um, thankful and joyful? Do you find yourself drawn to other believers in Christ? Do you want to be uh, around people who love God and serve Him faithfully? Do you share a genuine love for God and a desire to serve Him together alongside those people? A genuine believer will answer yes to those questions. Now, does that mean if, you, if there um, are times in your life where you don't feel close, particularly close to God or, or uh, to other believers, that your faith isn't genuine? Not necessarily. Okay? We all have moments like that where uh, we kind of let our feelings take over a little bit and we, and we forget we lose sight of the truth. Um, 
But if as a way of life you don't desire God or the friendship of other believers, uh, then that's evidence of a faith that's not genuine. If you just have no desire at all to, to know God, to love God, to know other believers, to love other believers, then uh, your faith is not genuine, okay? In his gospel, John quotes, Jesus is saying this, John, in John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, which means if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, then Jesus himself says right there that you're not one of his disciples. If that's the characteristic, if that's the way of life, in general, the pattern is that you dislike other believers, then he's saying that you're not one of his disciples. Your faith isn't genuine. Okay? You can't be a Christian and have a life that's patterned by a lack of love for other Christians uh, because that shows a lack of love for God and, um, and disobedience to his command. Okay? So let's move on to verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In verse 5, Thank you. Um, in verse 5, Jesus gives us a message from God about God, okay? And, and that message is that God is sinless. God has never sinned, nor will he ever sin. Sin is equated to darkness here in, in this passage, okay? Uh, the, and, and light represents everything that's good, everything that's pure, holy, true, reliable. Uh, and since God is light, there's no darkness at all in him. No sin at all. He is everything that's good, everything that's pure, everything that's true. He's everything that's holy and everything that's reliable. Verse 6 says that if we claim to be a Christian and yet we enjoy sin, then, we, then that claim to be a, uh, of being a Christian is a lie because we're not living in the light of God's truth. We're living in the darkness of sin. Okay. So here's the second test that we see in this chapter. A true believer will hate the sin in his or her life. A false believer will love it, will enjoy it, will indulge in it. So when you claim to follow Christ, but indulge in a sin on a regular basis, you're not fellowshipping with Christ, you're fellowshipping with the sin. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and so you're not living in the light, you're living in the dark. Now, light and darkness, they can't coexist. They, uh, one drives the other away. Okay? If you think about it, um, you know, darkness covers... You can put something over light and cover it up and it'll be dark or you can shine light into the darkness and everything's light, okay? Um, light exposes everything, darkness covers it. So I want to do an example of this and, and uh, I'm going to give you some instructions here real quick because we're going to turn off all the lights, all right? And what I want you to do is I want you to stay off the stage, okay? But we're going to give you uh, just like 30 seconds or so. I don't want you to go crazy and don't hurt anybody, all right, do this orderly, 
But I want you guys to try and hide somewhere in this room, okay? I'm going to turn the lights off. I want you to try and hide somewhere in this room, just in this big room. Don't go in these side rooms, not behind the curtains, not up on the stage, okay? Don't go outside, nothing in the, in the back behind, past those doors and stuff, all right? But I want you to hide in the dark. Ready? Not in the sound booth either. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Yes, hide. Are you hidden? It's good. Okay. About, about, about 10 seconds left, okay? All right. When I say it, Van, don't do it yet. All right. Now listen, it's, it's pretty dark in here. I was hoping we could get it like almost pitch black. But I forgot about that light shining outside. Um, it's pretty dark, though. Can you see very well right now? Some of you can because you're over there by the light. Okay? If you're in the dark, can you see very well? Can you see other people very well? You're, you're fairly hidden, right? In the dark. You're fairly covered, aren't you? Flip on the lights. Look at all of you. Justin's sitting back there on the table, right? Bryn is literally just standing here with her covering her face. That works in the dark, not in the light. I can see you under the chairs. All right, come back. Come back. Somebody pulled justice out. Do it orderly still. Be nice. That's a pretty good try. It's easier to hide in the dark, isn't it? Well, when you're running in the dark, it's not, not that easy. But it's easier not to be seen. It's easier to stay hidden in the dark, isn't it? Right? If it were pitch black in here, Bryn was standing like 10 feet in front of me, and I could barely see her because of the shadow from the, uh, from the light outside. But if it's dark enough, she could be standing there like this with her eyes, with her hands over her face wide out in the open, and I wouldn't have been able to see her because of the darkness, right? Well, darkness covers, and it hides. Uh, but when we turn the lights back on, some of your hiding spots weren't very good hiding spots anymore, were they? Right? Light exposes. Listen, light exposes. It shines through the darkness, and it exposes what's really there, Okay? Uh, and this, this is what John is talking about in verse 6. 
To walk with Christ is to walk in the light where everything in your life is fully exposed. Everything. You can't walk in the light of Christ and actively try and hide your sin uh, in your life at the same time. It's basically like doing this. Right? Because God can see it. Every believer is called to live a holy life. Multiple times in the Bible, God says, be holy because I am holy. But we're also reminded in Leviticus 21 that God is the one that makes us holy, not us. We can't do it without him, and so we constantly need to come to him for help. Uh, Actively confessing your sins to God instead of trying to hide from them, instead of trying to hide them from him, excuse me, uh, is evidence of a genuine faith in Christ. Living in the light, not trying to put yourself in darkness. A true believer knows he can't hide his sins from God. And when God exposes sin in that person's life, he doesn't pretend like it's not there. Instead, he confesses the sin. And when, and when he does that, like verse 7 says, he's walking in the light and he's made clean by the blood of Christ. Okay? A true believer will walk in the light. They will let God's light shine in them and expose everything. They'll confess the sin in their life that God reveals to them, sometimes through other people. And they'll continue uh, in their devotion to to living that life of holiness with the Spirit's help. Because we can't do it on our own. In verse 7, John says that we also have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light. When we're hiding sin in our lives, we tend to isolate ourselves from others. Can you relate to this? When when you've done something that's maybe shameful or um, looked down upon or just, just downright sinful, you're not really prone to go telling somebody else about that unless you just flat out enjoy sin, right? And then you kind of brag about it maybe. But, but if, if you're ashamed of it, you, you, don't, you don't necessarily reach out and, and ask people to help you, do you? We tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to stay hidden. We tend to try and, and find the darkest corner and, and hide ourselves in that instead of coming out into the light and letting God expose that in us and then letting him take it from us. We don't spend as much time with other believers, or when we do, um, when we do, maybe you come to a setting like this, and, and really deep down you're hurting. You you have sin inside that you haven't confessed yet, and and yet you just put on this facade like everything's fine. You might stand here and you might worship, uh, or or pretend to worship God, but really deep down, uh, he's he's tugging on your heart. The Spirit is working to uh, to to show that to you, to reveal that to you and to help you um, get rid of that, okay? James tells us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for each other. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of of your youth. Run away from the darkness and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, all things that are light, okay? Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We have to do it together. Sometimes we're, the thing about being, uh, blind is, in real life, a blind person pretty much knows they're blind, right? In a spiritual life, a blind person doesn't necessarily know they're blind. Our blindness blinds us to our sin, and so we need other people in our lives to, to come alongside us, and the Holy Spirit helps uh, convict us of that, um, but it's oftentimes through other people that see something in our lives that doesn't line up with God, that, that's darkness and not light. And so, uh, and so we, we, we need other people, we need other believers in our life 
to, to come alongside us, re- help reveal that sin to us, and then we can confess that to them and to God, and, and they can walk with us through that into the light and so that we have fellowship with one another and with God. Okay? When you confess your sins to others, it makes it pretty difficult to keep it in the dark. A true believer will continually allow God and others to expose the sin in his life and will take ownership for that sin and confess it to God and to his fellow believers, and by doing so, he will continue to walk in the light. But continually trying to hide your sin from God is, is, and others isn't the only evidence of a faith that's not genuine. Okay? In verse 8, John's addressing a false teaching that there are some who no longer sin. This was a belief that there were some who no longer sin, uh, have sin in their lives. And then in verse 10, um, he addresses the false teaching that there are some besides God who have never sinned. People believe this. And the people that John's talking about in verse 8 uh, are those who believe that they have reached a point in their lives where they, uh, where they no longer sin. They've stopped dealing with the sin in their lives because they don't believe it's there anymore. They've become blind to their own sin. Uh, but by believing that, they're deceiving themselves. They've become blind to their sin, um, and, and they're not living in the truth. John says that the truth isn't even in them at all. So this is evidence of a faith that's not genuine. If you think that you no longer sin, um, you're wrong. That's just, that's just the truth, okay? Because we all sin. A true believer knows that he will always be capable of sinning uh, even, when, even though he's been set free from the power of sin through Christ's death on the cross. Um, and that's why it's so important as believers to continue to confess the sin in our lives as God reveals it to us. Because as God exposes that to us uh, through the Holy Spirit and through other believers, and we release that to him, we give that to him, God continually molds us and shapes us to be more like him, but we'll never fully reach that. We'll never be fully sinless until we uh, die and go to heaven if we are a true believer or Christ comes back to get us, okay? And so the people uh, that John's talking about in verse 10 are those who have never confessed or even acknowledged sin in their life at all because uh, they, they feel like they're not sinful at all. They don't, they don't feel like they have a sin nature. And, and they're, they're just they're flat out denying that, that fact. Okay? This is also evidence of a false believer because to deny your own sinful nature is to call God a liar because his word tells us uh, differently, way differently than that. Right? Romans 3.23 tells us that all have, fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does right and never sins. This is God's word. This is the truth. And so if we say that I've never sinned, I'm completely going against that. And I'm calling God a liar. For the person who claims to have never sinned, then God's word has no place in that person's life. You're not listening to the word of God. Okay? According to 1 John 1.10, you're not giving God or his word any authority in your life if this, is, is, if this is the way you think. Anyone who claims to have never sinned is ultimately claiming to be God, and that's blasphemy. And the Jewish culture back in Jesus' day, um, that was punishable by death. And, and the irony is that Jesus is the only person in the history of mankind who could ever make this claim and have it be true. And, and when he did make that claim, they killed him for it. A true believer will actively deal with his sin by allowing God to expose it in his life 
and confessing it once it's been exposed, once it's been revealed to him. John gives us a promise in verse 9 that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and God is just, and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us then from all the unrighteousness. When we let God into the shadows of our lives, his light will enter in and it'll drive out any darkness that we have inside us. Okay, we can't get rid of the sin on our own. Can't get rid of the darkness on our own. We don't have that light. We need that light from, from Christ. This is a, a continual, lifelong process for a true believer. We never stop confessing our sin to God as he reveals it to us. This is how we walk in the light. Okay? So, are you aware of the sin in your life? Do you believe that you have sin in your life? Are you willing to confess the sin in your life to God uh, as God reveals it to you? Are you willing to stop continuing in that sin once it's been revealed to you? Do you realize that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that you don't have to give in to the power of that sin in your life? But when you do fail and you do give in, do you, do you uh, run to your Savior for forgiveness? Do you immediately go to Jesus? Do you trust that when you confess your sins that he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you of your sins and he will purify you of all unrighteousness? The genuine believer will answer yes to those questions. And again, this doesn't mean, uh, or, or does it mean that, that you're not a genuine believer if you can't answer yes to all of those questions at all times? No. Sometimes we let guilt and shame keep us from continuing, uh, from coming to Jesus right away um, with our sin and receiving freedom of it, from it. Excuse me. But ultimately, a genuine believer will, will eventually confess that sin and move on from it. Remember that we're looking at a way of life here and not just a single moment in time, okay? And so if, if you're, you're dealing with, sin, uh, with shame and, and guilt from something, but you truly do love God and you truly uh, do love other believers and you truly do want to pursue Him, um, but that's just got a hold of you, my, my challenge to you is to reach out to someone, okay? One of the hype leaders, myself, someone else who believes that can help you through that. Because ultimately, that's where, that's where you determine if your faith is, is real or not, if it's genuine or not, with what you do with that. If you decide that you can do it on your own or if you just enjoy it and you don't want to give it up or whatever it is, um, that's way different than, than wanting to get rid of it in your life but needing help to do it. Does that make sense? A genuine believer is marked by the evidence of a lifestyle of confessing sin and turning from it, not on their own power, but through the freedom that they have in Christ. And so we don't need to fear uh, revealing our sins to God, though, because he knows them already, okay? Every sin that we've ever done, every sin that we'll ever do, um, God knows them. Remember, he's light. There is no darkness in him at all. He exposes everything. He can see everything. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and God raised him from the dead three days later to signify his acceptance for that sacrifice for us. And the beauty of it is that because of Christ's sacrifice for you and for me, when we come to God and confess our sins to him, he will never push us away. 1 John 1, 9 says uh, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He won't push us away no matter what you and I have done. Instead, he'll forgive us our sins, and then he'll make us clean from that if we genuinely come and we bring that to him. 
So if you're in here tonight and you've seen evidence in your life of a faith that isn't genuine, you can confess that to God tonight. And you can begin a genuine faith in Him. And my prayer is that um, as we close tonight and as we continue on in this series, next week we'll pick up with chapter 2, but my prayer is that you would search your heart and maybe just even pray tonight that God would search your heart and would allow... Um, you'd allow him to reveal to you where you fall into these categories. And you would allow him to speak to you and challenge you and, and, and draw you to himself and, and, and follow um, the, the words from Isaiah 55. This is my prayer for you, okay? Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. I hope you know that. I hope that even if, if you're sitting there tonight and, and you're, you're questioning, you're wondering, is God really faithful? Yes, he is. Even when we're not, God is faithful. He can't deny himself, okay? And he's made this promise to us that if we come to him and we confess our sins, that he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness, to bring light into the darkness and allow us to have fellowship with him, with other believers, and walk in a faith that's genuine. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have uh, spoken to us. And thank you that you continue to speak to us through it. Thank you for the testimony of uh, your disciples who have become apostles uh, like John. Thank you that even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago, that we have a credible witness and his testimony to go by. Uh, and not just one, but many who have seen you, uh, who, who know you, and uh, who can testify to um, not only the fact that you're real, that you, you really came in the form of Jesus, Um, but the reason why you did it. And so I pray tonight, God, that 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 would continue to sink deep into the hearts of these students and that as as we continue to read through this book of 1 John, uh, even over this next week as they dig into chapter 2, that you'll continue to reveal the evidence uh, in our lives of one way or the other, whether or or not our our faith is genuine. And I do pray for those that... uh, get revealed that the evidence of a genuine faith, that they would continue to be encouraged, that they would continue to grow deeper in their relationship with you. And I pray for those, God, who, as they slowly um, are opened up their eyes and their hearts to the fact that their faith, uh, they've been deceived uh, by themselves, that they've been, that they've deceived themselves. The truth isn't in them, God, that that you can bring your truth into them if they would uh, turn to you. And so I pray that, um, that that would happen over these next five weeks, that just as we continue to get to know you more through your word, through the testimony of John, that hearts would be changed, lives would be changed, and people would come to know you, uh, would come to a saving, genuine, true faith in you. We love you, God. Thank you for this time together, uh, and, uh, and we'll give you all the glory and the honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.